practice together. And following on from the practice, we'll have some time to, um, to explore the Dharma. So doing what you need to do to come into your meditation posture. For the meditation together. Taking time to settle into the posture and to really listen to the body and the mind, seeing what adjustments can be made to allow the body to feel supported, stable and steady. As we're doing that, we're bringing the awareness into the body. Taking some time to check in with the balance between uprightness and ease in the body and the posture. As you're bringing the awareness into the body and doing this, you can just play with that a little bit. What happens if I play with the alignment of the back and Allow it to rise up a bit more. Let the shoulders relax and drop. gathering and collecting the awareness in the body if it's helpful you can use the contact areas of body with seat and body with ground to collect and gather the awareness in the body the immediacy of those sensations Grounded in the body sensations, in the contact with the seat and the ground, and the body supported, rising up from that contact. And 
then gently in your own time, letting the awareness open and spread into more and more of the body field. It's gradually and gently taking your time. From the immediacy of the sensations of contact, opening through the body, awareness through the body. As you play with that and find your own way with it, whether more precise, more settled in the sensations of the contact, if that's helpful, or more open, more spread, if that's helpful. As you explore emphasizing kindness as an attitude towards your experience, towards this exploration,
So awareness spread through the body. We're gonna let the awareness open even further through the body to include sound, to receive sound as it arises in our environment. So awareness grounded and rooted in the body field, open with the primary object, the sound arising and being known within the field of awareness. Receiving the sound as it arises, changes and passes in its time. emphasizing the receptive quality of awareness and the sound being known within the field of awareness. Very light touch. Emphasizing receptivity and allowing towards the sound, not appropriating it in any way. Sound being known and received, allowed to come and to go. Sound is the object of the practice, allowing it to arise in its own time to change and to pass. Light, open, receptive quality of awareness.
seeing if we can open the field of awareness now to include body sensations as well as sound or if it's confusing instead of sound beginning in particular with sensations that are uneventful that don't feel particularly pleasant or unpleasant maybe the sensations in the elbows or some part of the back or the legs, somewhere where there's a sensation, we can feel the body, we can feel sensations, but they're uneventful. And opening to them too with kindness. Spaciousness, openness, allowing them to arise, to be known, to pass. interest that does not grasp just like the sound sensations in the body arising changing and passing So there's interest, but without much self or much grasping. That's the balance we're looking for. Can be helpful to use a light labeling here, or light noting around the sensation can be welcome to arise to stay to go or it can be not me and not mine not as a way of negating but just as a way of loosening that holding that grasping that naturally arises when there's an experience
Now opening out to also include pleasant sensations. Tuning in to whatever may feel okay, good enough, comfortable, nice, wonderful, anywhere in that spectrum. Receiving that too into awareness, within awareness. Allowing this too to arise. And then it's time to change and pass. Remembering this too is not me. It's not mine. It's possible to be interested, present, engaged. At the same time, relaxing the grasping. Feeling the beauty, feeling the okayness, the pleasantness, the niceness fully as we can. At the same time, not me. Not mine.
for the last few minutes opening also in the same way to what is perceived as unpleasant in the body sensations allowing this too to arise to stay or change to pass in its own time seeing the unpleasant also with interest loosening aversion and resistance this too not me not mine This sound too of the bell received in awareness, interest without grasping, wide open space. taking your time to transition seeing if we can stay connected to a sense of awareness receiving experience
So I'd like to share some reflections on the Dharma and then there'll be time for questions. Um, before that, just uh, a few words about dana practice, as usual, in the heart of our time together. So as you know, the, these offerings of the online Dharma Hall are offered in the spirit of dana of freely offered, offered freely without a price, without a, a charge. Uh, which really allows this to be a welcoming, open, accessible spa space for all of us yeah, to be here. Um, but part of, you know, dana, one way of seeing dana practice is um, giving and receiving, you know, this flow of giving and receiving and of participation. So we have the possibility to receive, just like we're receiving sound or sensations just now and we have the possibility to also offer uh, to offer to guy a house to support it and to offer um, support for the teachings which in this case will go to me so if you're able to and you wish to participate in this um, movement of dana of generosity um, then the details on how to do that are on the same page um, where the link to the Dharma Hall was. Uh, yeah. And everything is welcome with that. So between us, we, we uh, support the Dharma to, to continue to be offered. So I'd like to... Um, is there a papal address for me? Yeah, there is. People want to give directly to me. I'll just put that in the chat and then. Yeah. That actually is also a using PayPal in this case is also an act of generosity towards some of the Gaia House employees that have to process all the donations. It's not a, it's not a small job. So thank you for that question. So I'd like to um, share some reflections uh, today, which is inspired by a conversation I had with someone. And um, an, it's an area of the teachings that I found really helpful. Um, I still do, but it was it was really crucial for me um, early on. Well, not so early. <laughs> early onwards in the practice, um, and it's uh, it's um, it's called mana in in Pali. M A N A, um, usually translated as uh, conceit. The interesting thing about it is that in, in the Buddha's teachings, in Dharma teachings, um, conceit or this, this um, term mana, it has a much broader and more profound meaning than um, just being stuck up or being conceited. Okay? Um, it's actually, uh, conceit is the manifestation um, of the human tendency to define ourselves through comparison to others. Okay, so that kind of refers to that, or to ourselves at other times, I have to add that, 
and you may need, I may not always remember to say that. So it's this comparing of am I better than, am I the same as, or am I worse than? Yeah. Either someone else or myself at a different time. It may be, you know, what I remember from the past, it may be how I imagine the future. And, you know, you may be hearing this and saying, oh, this sounds like a bit of, you know, maybe cheap psychology or something, you know, what's going on. Um, it's really interesting because uh, the Buddha spoke a lot about this. It's a very important aspect of uh, what binds us as, as human beings. Um, and interestingly enough, according to the teachings, it's also um, a human, a tendency of the human mind that uh, dissolves very, very late in the pr process of, of our um, gradual awakening or whichever way we imagine it. So it's a very strong human tendency and it stays. Uh, I remember one of my teachers always used to say, you know, it stays right till the end, <laughs> falls away. If we believe that that's, you know, th there's an end, it falls away pretty late on in the process. Um, so it's very human. Yeah, and it's very common to us, yeah. very, very common to all of us. And that in itself uh, can be very liberating, just to see it in that way. And so you can probably already see this, but conceit, this manna, is very primary. It's one of the primary ways in which we create a sense of self, yeah, through this comparison. And um, the Buddha described, you know, three kind of, elements to it. Uh, one is the conceit of thinking I'm better than someone else. Um, the second we might call, you know, the inferiority complex, you know, comparing and seeing that I'm less good than someone. Um, and the third is arrogance, which we won't go into so much today. Um, but in other, this is in one sutta that he speaks about it in this way, in other suttas it's really also the, the same as, you know, so the important thing is the comparison, that movement of um, creating the sense uh, of self in relationship to an other, yeah, the other again can be another person or it can be ourselves at a different time. So we can, when we reflect on, on this really strong habit that we have, whenever, whenever it's in operation, yeah. when we say, you know, I'm either, you know, oh, I'm great, I'm doing great, that meditation was cool, I, I felt great, I was a really, you know, really did well there, <laughs> or, you know, oh, that was terrible, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever we do that, um, what we're actually uh, what's actually happening is that we are placing some kind of boundary and some kind of solidity yeah. around our sense. So it separates us from another, that comparison is me as opposed to you, but it also creates a sense of a boundaried, solid sense of who I am. Yeah. This is who I am. I am like this. Yeah. I am like this. And we can, you know, sometimes play with our imagination or reflect on times when there is less of this, for whatever reason, and see, yeah, um, you know, what a reduction in suffering comes along with that. 
yeah, or how much suffering is generated through this habit, yeah, through this tendency of I'm measuring, you know, I'm looking at somebody else or I'm looking at myself at a different time. And it often arises in our practice. I think this is why it's, um, it, it stays for so long, yeah, because it's one of the tendencies that comes up in the practice, right? You think, oh, I got it today. <laughs> oh, I've completely failed, you know. You know, yesterday I had it and today it's gone, yeah. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, 10 years ago I had it and now I don't. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a big part of how uh, suffering is created, yeah, in uh, conjunction with a sense of self, yeah, through that self-building also the dukkha, the suffering, gets built. So it can be really helpful with any kind of exploration of, of, of the self, of the sense of self, the appearance of self. Um, to remember that the, the sense of self appears on a spectrum. Yeah. It's, it, it arises and moves along a spectrum. Sometimes it's really strong, yeah. or I like to call it really loud. Yeah. The volume is high. Sometimes it's very subtle, yeah. barely, barely there. And um, we know this, yeah, we know this in our own experience, at times when we feel a lot of ease, yeah. or uh, when we feel maybe great compassion, yeah. or when there's just a sense of stillness in the being, you know, we might be in nature, we might be absorbed in some activity, often creative activities, that's very nourishing for us. And there's much less of a sense of there is something here, yeah, doing this, yeah, or something here to which this experience belongs. Yeah. So it's, it's helpful to reflect on how do we know this spectrum in our own experience. Yeah. How do we know this movement and, and the times when the self is louder and stronger, the sense of self, and the times when the appearance of self is much more subtle and quiet. And so, you know, this, um, I'm going back to the conceit, to the mana, is a real habit and tendency of actually recreating the sense of self, even <laughs> in these situations when it's, or kind of amping up the volume, even in situations when it's more quiet. Yeah. So again, if we look at our meditation practice, we can see it. You know, sometimes there can be a period of practice, you know, we're practicing and there's actually quite a lot of stillness or peace or joy, you know, what we're kind of aiming for in practice. And then suddenly there'll be this like, oh, I, you know, I better hold on to this. And, you know, like this is the best I've ever had, you know, the best meditation I've ever had. You know, I'm the best meditator <laughs> that I've ever been. And here comes, you know, we're regenerating this, you know, strong habit of mind. And as we're regenerating the sense of self, we're also appropriating that experience to the sense of self. Um, so yeah, very human. Yeah, very, very human. 
So in, in that spirit of it being very human, um, here's Ananda, yeah. one of my favorite, uh, fa my, one of my favorite, um, I forgot the word, characters in, in, the, in the teachings. Yeah. So Ananda was the Buddha's cousin, his personal attendant, one of his closest uh, disciples. And, um, and a lot, he, he, he's actually, I haven't, I've never checked, but he, he appears a lot in the suttas, often in the role of asking the Buddha questions. Uh, sometimes also, you know, kind of um, being told that he didn't get it very well. I think it's not the case in this one. But he's often the one who asks the questions and, and the Buddha responds. So here's Ananda. So, you know, been closely with the Buddha for probably decades by this time, you know, his personal attendant, he's with him, he's the one who probably heard most of his teachings, very um, dedicated practitioner. And, uh, and here's, here's his question to the Buddha. He says to the Buddha, could a person obtain such a state of samadhi that there would be no eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit in regard to this conscious body. Yeah. Could a person abstain, obtain such a state of samadhi that they would have no eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit in regard to all external objects? Yeah. And could a person obtain such a state of samadhi that he would have no eye-making mind-making and an underlying tendency to conceit um, in regard to experience. Yeah. And the Buddha simply replies in this case, he could, Ananda. <laughs> so is it possible? Yeah. And the Buddha says yes. Yeah, it is possible for us to be free, yeah, to live in this world um, without this tendency to make things our own about ourself and to make them ourself um, and without that tendency to conceit in regard to the body in regard to the inner life in regard to the to external objects so why is conceit interesting yeah why why did i want to bring it in why do i find it interesting one is because it's so common to us uh, and the other is because of its relation to the sense of self and to the practice of anatta, of not-self, yeah. which is one of the liberating practices that we can do, liberating insights that we can cultivate. Um, when we practice with conceit as it appears in our, in our lives, um, we can see that the sense of self, the appearance of self, um, like any phenomena, like any phenomena, is not lasting and independent in the way we take it to be. Yeah. And this practice of anatta, of not-self, um, is also how we transform conceit to a great degree. And it's one of the tools we have to transform uh, conceit. So if we look at the meditation we just did today, we can maybe start to get a taste of that. Yeah. We practice with phenomena. Yeah. We start with, um, you know, we started with so-called external phenomena, receiving sound 
into awareness. Yeah, and that sense of receptivity, of just receiving the sound and allowing it to arise and change. And as we do that, having um, this sense of, oh, this is not me and not mine. Yeah. Because even with something like sound, there's a there's a, a, some level of grasping or of aversion. And then we brought our awareness, we brought that same open wide field, just like the sound, to our body sensations. And we looked at different Vedanas, different manifestations of body sensations. Yeah, the uneventful, what was neither pleasant or unpleasant. The pleasant and then the unpleasant. Um, yeah. And we saw that too as arising, changing, passing, moving through, not personal, received. Yeah. Not me not mine and kind of we did it it was very brief of course we could spend a lot more time with each of those um, but it can be interesting if there was anything that felt interesting for you uh, to practice in this way more and to include as we stabilize to more phenomena yeah what are the other common things that we see as who we are I mean thoughts the big one yeah my thoughts are who I am. The thoughts define who I am. All my thoughts are mine. Yeah. And emotions, mental habits. So conceit becomes um, interesting and powerful for us um, because once we recognize that it is human, it rises in the human mind. It's not ours, it's not personal we can become more sensitive to its presence. And then when we notice, when we recognize that it's present, it can become fuel for our practice. Because the problem with conceit, as with other, many other mental tendencies, is when we don't know it's happening. When we don't see it, when it's not revealed. And then it's just going on in the background affecting our experience, affecting how we relate to ourselves and to others and to life, yeah. and it's not seen. Once we recognize it's present, we can work with it in ways that transform our experience. Yeah. So usually, yeah, we'll notice this movement of mana of conceit in the verbal aspect, yeah, we'll usually notice it in the verbal aspect in the thinking yeah or I'm better than I'm the same as I'm worth than. Remember, um, one teacher sharing one time it's a funny story I just remembered that she spent a whole retreat she was probably exaggerating we I'll tell you I'll tell you a secret we tend to sometimes exaggerate stories for the comic effect but anyway she spent she told a story about um, spending a whole retreat with this mana around haircuts, yeah, and the kind of the ongoing thing was that you know she wanted to have the best haircut in the meditation hall, um, and that was where the mind was going. So sometimes it's that silly, yeah, and petty, and sometimes, like I said, it can come up in the heart of our practice yeah. or a sense of of worth. Yeah. So we notice the verbal aspect, we notice the thoughts. And then, if possible, we trace it into the body. Yeah. So here's the thinking, now bringing the awareness to the body. 
where is this in the body? How do I feel it in the body? Yeah. What does it feel like? Yeah. Doing this with an attitude of metta and of kindness. Yeah. I kind of emphasize that at the beginning of the practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's true for any practice that we do, but particularly in these practices where we're going to very strong tendencies like mana, like the, the, the self-appearance. So we trace it into the body, we bring in a meta-attitude. Usually in the body, there'll be some sense of contraction, yeah, along with the sense of self, along with that sense of, remember we said, the conceit creates boundaries. Those boundaries will feel like some kind of limits. You know, it might be, I'm doing this with my hands, I don't know if you can see. It might actually be outside of the body <laughs> where the limit is, but we will still feel it as some kind of limitation or contraction. And so one way of working with that is to relax as much as possible, to invite the body to relax. Yeah. The, another way would be to open up the space. Yeah, so there's contraction and solidity and boundary we open out the space, yeah, we increase it, yeah, space of awareness, just like we did at the beginning of the meditation, from uh, the contact areas to more and more of the body, or opening out to sound is another really helpful way of doing this, open out, open up the space. Or if you resonate with using these little uh, notes, they're not me, yeah, or mine, yeah, it can be really helpful. This tendency to, or this body manifestation of it, is not me or mine. Yeah, this thought, not me or mine. And a, a little variation that I really like on that is, um, it's not mine, it's ours. Yeah, reminding us that this isn't personal. Not mine, it's ours, or it's human. Human. So we're using the manifestation. I hope you can see this. So conceit becomes a gateway. Yeah. Not something we need to get rid of, but something that we can transform, that we can use as a gateway to deeper understanding. Yeah, to deeper understanding. And then we are always interested in how does this impact how I see experience. How does this impact how I see um, others and myself? Yeah. So what happens when we open to the shared human aspect of this? You know, It's not mine, it's ours. It's not mine, it's human. We all know this. Yeah. We all know this part of our of our, our our makeup yeah but we can do something with it yeah, it's not the end of the road yeah so we all know this we all experience the dukkha that arises with it yeah in 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 multiple ways yeah we experience the dukkha that arises within us when it's present within us we also experience the dukkha that arises when it's present with somebody else yeah we feel that, right? We feel those boundaries. We feel that solidification yeah. and the separation. So we know that. We know this. We all know this dukkha, all of us. So how can that 
um, rejuvenate? How can that nourish our commitment to practice and to transformation? How does that affect how we see others? You know, including potentially a time when someone else is in that space and we're on the receiving end of it. And what happens there when we can remember, I don't need to take this, you know. You can play this game, but I don't need to participate. Mm. Yeah. You can play this game, but I don't need to participate. You know, I don't need to take this on. Mm. And we can, um, you know, take that, bring that in. How does it affect our seeing others? Does it bring more compassion? others and ourselves. And the more we see it in ourselves, the more we see it in others, and the more we um, cultivate ways of putting it down, of not feeding it, yeah, not feeding this tendency. Yeah. The more we do that, what happens to the tenacity of, of mana, of conceit? Uh, what happens to this appearance of an unchanging, independent self? Yeah. That's running the show. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.